Are you glad you're here? Did you enjoy the baptisms in that great two weeks? We've been doing this, but all of our services at all of our campuses is just great. Even in the weird times we're living in right now to have people following through uh, with believers baptism. So we're super excited about those today. Just great stuff. And you probably know that we're in a series that started uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is dumb things smart people believe. And so I'm going to talk about one of those things today, and it's this. It's something that we hear in our culture all the time, but really Christians should know better, and that is dead people go to a better place. Dead people go to a better place. Well, not necessarily. And that's what we want to talk about a little today about that thing that, that people say. And, and of course, when it comes to funerals and memorial services, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, cultural expectations, uh, sort of unwritten rules about what you say and you don't say, especially uh, if the person is far from God. I mean, just, it's, it's just kind of deep-seated unwritten rules and cultural norms about kind of what happens there. Because we know funerals, they kind of call for fond memories and kind words. And, and we totally get that because we understand that a family, grieving family and friends, they need comfort. But as Christians, we cannot take that extra step to say or talk as if that person, if they didn't have a relationship with Christ, is in a better place because the Bible teaches they are not. And so we need to be careful about that because that's a widely held kind of a falsehood in our culture that we as Christians must reject. And um, I, I know after this, I'll probably be asked to do a lot less funerals about your, for your relatives and stuff like that. I get that. But uh, Jesus teaches clearly that not everyone goes to a better place. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches clearly that maybe most people do not go to a better place. And that not better place, of course, is hell. And hell is something nobody wants to talk about. But Jesus, in, in all of Scripture, more than the prophets, more than the apostles, more than anybody else in Scripture, Jesus talked about hell a lot. And so we want to follow up with that, be true to his teaching. And as a matter of fact, this question was kind of asked him. And we're actually in Luke chapter 13, so I invite you to turn there if you want to follow along in one of the Bibles on the chair rack in front of you. And this is a little more obscure text, and you might be wondering, well, you're talking about hell, why are you using this text? And the reason is simply that we've actually been on some of the more popular texts within the last year. We've pre preached on Luke 16 and some other texts, Matthew 7, because uh, we're in a series called Seven. So, we've, so we decided to approach this from a, a, a different angle, and that is Luke 13. And I want you to, want you to hear, Here's somebody asking him this question. It's sort of, do all people go to heaven kind of a question. And it starts, Luke 13, verse 22. As he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem, and someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house 
gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he'll answer and say to you, I don't know where you're from. Then you'll begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he'll say, I tell you, I don't know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Wow, strong, strong words. And notice the question is, are just a few being saved? And when Jesus gives his answer, he's not exactly answering that question. He's basically saying, hey, whether few or many, make sure you're one of them. You know, don't worry about the few or many. You need to make sure whether you're one. Will you be among the saved? That's how he responds. Whether many or few, make sure you are among them. And then he gives three reasons. First of all, he says, because access to heaven, that better place, is narrow. Access to heaven is narrow. And he uses this imagery of a narrow door. And basically what he's saying, and he says strive to enter it, what he's saying there is that, hey, when you're just going with the flow, you're not going to end up in heaven. Access is narrow. It's The way I pictured this is, um, how many of you have step through a barbed wire fence. Probably everybody, right? You've stepped through a barbed wire fence, maybe to get into a pasture, or maybe you're out hiking somewhere and you step through. It's, it's not hard. It's easy. But you have to stop and pause and sort of think about it and check it out, right? Unless you have a friend that's doing this. You know, if, if it's just you, you have to kind of look, look at it Think about it and then make sure that how many of you have stepped through a fence and then you get snagged like on the back of your, you know, yeah. You got to look at it and you got to make sure that you're sort of conforming to the space that's open, the narrow way, that you're conforming to that. It's not hard, but you pause, you think about it, you analyze it, you study it, you check it out. That narrow door term that Jesus is using, sort of lets us know that less than we might expect will actually enter into heaven. And then when he says strive to enter, the idea is not that we work, work, work to deserve it. We work hard so we're rewarded with it because the rest of the whole New Testament and the other things that Jesus said tell us that's not the case. But rather the striving is that we would pay careful attention, that we would think through it, that we would work hard at listening and truly responding to his message. That's kind of where this story goes. So pay careful attention, figure it out, think through it, and strive to enter by doing that, and then enter in. So that's the first reason why to make sure Don't worry about the many or the few. Make sure you're among them. Why? Because access to heaven is narrow. Second reason, because we only have a limited time to respond. Because time is limited. And we see that in the story, right? We we should know uh, that we should do it now. 
He's challenging the hearers. Respond, make sure you're one of the ones that enter and do it now because there'll be a future time when you won't be able to. Time is limited. Now, we know God has not promised us any amount of time, which is very interesting because thinking about funerals and talking about funerals, a lot of time, people who say they're Christians, when somebody they love passes away, they turn against God and they say, I cannot believe God would allow this person to die, so I'm out, forget it, I'm not following God anymore, which makes totally no no sense at all because God has never acted like he's promised us any amount of time to live. God's not saying, hey, everybody's going to live to 100. Hey, if you're a decent person, you're going to live to... That doesn't happen. He's never said that. So why is it when somebody loses a loved one, they're like, man, I'm gone from God. I'm angry at God. I'm mad at God. I'm changing my relationship with God. He's saying, Jesus is telling us, strive now before the door is shut, because one day it will be permanently closed, and our opportunity will be missed. How many of you missed a good opportunity for something? You know, maybe a good deal, this, that, missed an opportunity. You know, we do this all the time. For some reason, what popped in my head is, I remember actually once being in a little town up in the mountains in Colorado called Creed. That's where it must have, might have been when my brother got married up there. And so I was up there, but I remember we went through this shop and I found something called a Pulaski. It's like, you know, an antique shop or used place. And there was this Ampac, uh, Pulaski Forest Service fire axe. And I had used one of those when I was a teenager. And so I always thought it'd be cool to own one. And then there was one for sale. I think it was like 20 bucks. I mean, the price was right. But for whatever reason, I didn't get it. I didn't buy it. And then have you ever not bought something like that? And then you start thinking, why didn't I do that? That's what happened. So it's Creed. Creed's a long way from everywhere. And so, you know, not often that I'm up in Creed, but I kept thinking, I wonder if that axe is still there. I should have bought that thing. Does this ever happen to you? You know, why? Why didn't I get that? That was a good deal. I can't believe I walked away from that. And then, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years later, I don't even know how long it was, we were back in Creed, and I'm still thinking, I should go to that shop just in case that axe is still there. And so we drive by. The shop wasn't even there. I mean, nothing was there. It was like just gone. You know, it wasn't even close. We all get that we can miss an opportunity. And this is what God is telling us. Don't miss. Jesus is saying, don't miss the greatest opportunity of your lifetime to respond to him. And his message, that's what he's telling us. Now's the time. The opportunity to respond to Christ will not always be available. That's what he's telling us. And not only that, as he tells the story, we're noticing that a lot of people who thought they would be on the inside are not on the inside. They're on the outside pounding on the door going, whoa, 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 there's been a mistake. What's happening? Let me in. And the Lord is saying, I don't know you. No relationship. No. So that's the first two things. Don't worry about whether many or few. Worry about you. You do you. And you make sure that you're among them. Because why? Those three reasons. First, because access to heaven is narrow. Second, because time is limited. 
We don't have an unlimited time. God has not guaranteed us another day. Any of us here today, any one of us could not be alive tomorrow. I mean, we could get in an accident on the way home. Who knows? A, a thousand things could happen. And, and we're not here. God has not promised any of us tomorrow. Then the third reason to make sure that we're among the saved. Because there are two drastically different destinies. He describes that in the next verse. Here's what he says. Verse 28. In that place, now he's saying these people are out. They're knocking on the door. They're saying, hey, what about me? Hey, we knew you. What's going on? And then he says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you, but, but, I'm sorry, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. So here Jesus is saying, yeah, when you're out, when you're knocking to get in, when the opportunity is over, you're going to be in a terrible place, weeping, gnashing of teeth. He's describing hell there, and he describes hell in a lot of different places. Fire, regret, weeping, judgment, gnashing of teeth. You know, it's all there, the worm that doesn't die. He's, he's giving us this description of a real place called hell that we don't want to be. Two destinies. So Some are cast to hell. Now, Today, that's, this is not a popular thing to say. Today, there are a bunch of churches that never talk about hell, that don't even believe in hell anymore, and don't emphasize God's wrath or, or even God's judgment. That's just the new wave of what's happening in churches today. And because of that, maybe more than ever before, people buy in to that false phrase, well, he's in a better place. She's in a better place. Why? Because she died. She's just automatically in a better place. No. No, that's not what the Bible says. If they're in Christ, they're in a much, much better place. If they're Christians, yes, they're with God forever. But not everybody. So why would there, people push back, you know, why would there even be a hell? Why would a loving God even do hell? And of course, this question is predominant in our culture today. How can a loving God have a hell? What's up with that whole thing? Well, but there's, and I've actually taught about this within the last year a few times and went into great detail, and I'm going to try not to go in as much detail today. But first of all, why hell? Well, because there's justice and there's judgment because justice requires judgment. So we face judgment after this life. By the way, when the guy in the first century asked Jesus the question, are, are there just a few who will be saved, who will be among the saved? When he's saying the saved, what does he mean by that? When he says the saved, he's asking about saved from judgment, saved from God's wrath, saved from the right punishment that we should experience for our sins against God. Who, are there just a few people who are going to be saved from God's wrath and judgment. That's what he's talking about. That's, that's the whole point. That's, that's this whole terminology to say, this guy's a Jewish person asking Jesus that question, and he's using that terminology. Who gets saved from God's righteous wrath is what he's talking about. All, our, our culture wants a loving God without the judgment of God, but there's no justice 
without judgment. You can't have justice without judgment. We don't want to think of anybody judging us, but there's no justice without judgment. Another reason why hell is God's judgment and wrath demand hell. God's judgment and His wrath, His justice, all that demands hell. I don't know if you've caught in the news, but the last several weekends, there's been a lot of shootings and stuff going on. But what stood out to me, although you don't hear it that much in the news, is, a bu- is several children have been shot. Some in the streets, some in their bedroom, some in their house. Children shot. And when that happens, what we cry, you know, which we view children as the most innocent among us, and so we view, you know, where's the justice? These children were completely innocent. They didn't do anything. Where's the justice in that? And so we cry for justice. Could you imagine you losing one of your children that was shot either intentionally or by a stray bullet or whatever, killed? We would cry out for justice, right? We Because we all know the person who did that needs to experience justice. That's not, it's not right what they did. It's not right that they would not be punished. They they should be punished. That's justice. That's the right thing, we would say. If you were a a victim of a brutal crime or, or one of your children were the victim of a brutal crime... You, you'd cry out for justice. And, and here's the thing, as a Christian, you would need to know in that moment that God is a God of justice. And here's why. Because the justice that we have, and I believe we have more justice in America than any other country in the world, but there's no perfect justice in the world. With God, there's perfect justice. So we can we could imagine that somebody could shoot one of our children, go to trial, and through this or that or a technicality or a good lawyer or whatever the case may be, they may get off. Sometimes they may get off and we sort of all know they're guilty. That will eat at your soul. What does that cause you want to do? It makes you want to take vengeance. Oh, the courts didn't do it. I'll do it. But God says, I'm a God of justice. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says God. So as a believer, we can say, okay, God, I have to give this to you because I know you will make it right because I know with you no sin will go unpunished. No sin ever will go unpunished in God's perfect justice that we will all experience ultimately someday. And somehow we can find peace in that. It's not just that God's wrath against sin demands hell, but even God's love demands hell. God doesn't force. God is persuasive, not coercive. He doesn't force us into relationship. And people, here's what kind of drives me crazy. How many have heard people, they, they sort of deny hell, and then they say, you know, God is a God of love. There's no way God of love sends people to hell. How many have heard that reasoning? 
boy, I would think everybody, it's all over the place. And they would say, my God, and here's the problem in our culture, we all have our own little gods of our minds that have nothing to do with the real God. But they say, you know, my God is a God of love. My God can never send anybody to hell. And they call themselves Christians. Next time you talk to somebody like that, you should ask them, oh, your God is more loving than my God that the Bible describes. Okay, well, what did it cost your God to love? If your God's more loving than my God, what did it cost your God to love? And they'll give you one of two answers. They'll either say, well, he died on the cross for us. And then you say, why? Why die on the cross? If there's no hell, if there's no judgment, why did Christ have to die? Why did he have to take our punishment? If there's no hell, there's no need for the cross. That's just overacting on God's part. That's just cruelty for no reason. Or if they don't say that, you know, they'll say something like, well, it didn't cost anything for God to love me. Then you say, oh, and you think your God's more loving than mine? It costs my God his life to love me. You see, eliminating hell does not make God more loving. It makes God less loving. You just have to scratch the surface to figure that out. Why do Christians hate racism? Because we know God values every person. God loves all people. Why do Christians hate abortion? Because we know that God values every single life. You see, when we love, it causes us to hate the opposite of that love. Does that make sense? So love and hate are combined. God's mercy, God's justice, God's wrath. It's not mutually exclusive with his love. It's actually mutually necessary to have God's wrath and God's love. They're two sides of the very same coin. And if the words of Jesus or the New Testament mean what they say, If they really mean what they say, we need to square ourselves with the fact, the sad fact, that many wonderful people that we have known in our life and have passed away, that many of those people are right now in hell. Not because Kevin said so. That's what Jesus is telling us. That's what Jesus is warning us about over and over and over, and the rest of the biblical writers, but mostly it's Jesus warning Now, you may think you know more about Jesus on this topic, but I would argue with you on that. That's what he's telling us. Most today don't think through issues rationally. This is the problem. Most people don't think through issues rationally anymore. Now, we think through our culture, thinks through things emotionally. We don't even think through it. We just react emotionally rather than think rationally. So when we react emotionally, we're just kind of pinball bouncing off of things. We're not taking the next step to think through, is this true or not? We're just reacting. And, and, then, and because of that, we can talk, and I've done this many times before, just list out all the biblical reasons which I have not scratched the surface of. I mean, we could be here all day talking about biblical reasons 
why you have to have judgment. We all know in our heart there's judgment. But people don't want to respond with an argument. They want, they want to respond rationally. They want to respond emotionally. And here's how that goes. Well, I can't believe in a God that was sin so-and-so to hell, who was a really nice person. I call this, this is just my name, I call it the Aunt Mary objection, all right? It's the Aunt Mary. Whoa, so you're sitting with somebody, you're talking about salvation, you're saying Jesus is the only way, that's what he said, and so there's only one way to God, Jesus. And then they'll say, they'll talk about somebody in their life, a relative that they loved, and they'll say, whoa, 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 what you're saying is that relative didn't go to heaven? Yeah, it's the Aunt Mary, you know, that, what, Aunt Mary? You telling me? Aunt Mary didn't go. Aunt Mary was a wonderful lady. Let's talk about Aunt Mary. Aunt Mary was a wonderful lady. She baked cookies. She never hurt anyone. She paid her taxes. She remembered my birthday every single year. She loved me. Yeah, I know. But can we talk honestly about Aunt Mary today? Can we do that? Just in a general way, sort of everybody's Aunt Mary? You don't want me to talk about Aunt Mary, do you? I could tell. You guys are not, no, not Aunt Mary, please, don't, Kevin, no! Yeah, we're talking about her. When Aunt Mary was a little girl, occasionally she went to church. And every Christmas and Easter, she heard about a God who loved her. And when she heard that, those stories from Scripture, the Spirit of God tapped her heart and whispered in her ear, I love you. You can know me. But Aunt Mary said no. She closed off her heart. She said, I'll use my mind, I'll use my life to do what I want to do. And then when Aunt Mary got a little older, she would notice the beauty in a tree or a sunset or the mountains. And she would wonder at that, and God would whisper to her heart, I made that. I made you. You could give thanks. And Aunt Mary made a little decision in her heart right then. I will not acknowledge you as my creator. I will not give thanks. I will live how I want to live. I will do my own thing. I will not bend the knee. And then when Aunt Mary got a little older, well, she did things that were wrong because even Aunt Mary's not perfect. Everybody does wrong things. And when she did wrong things, the Holy Spirit would convict her and whisper into her heart, I love you. You could admit you're wrong. You could get forgiveness. And she said, made a little decision in her heart that said, I will not admit that the way I live is wrong. I will not 
turn my life to you. I will not follow you. And then a little later in Mary's life, as she became older, a lot of her friends started having health problems and died. And Aunt Mary would go to those funerals. And at every single one of those funerals, Aunt Mary was confronted with her own mortality. And the Spirit of God whispered to her heart, and said, you won't live forever. Nobody does. But you can be with me forever. I love you. And Aunt Mary said, no. Just a little decision in her heart. No, I will not turn to you. No, I will not bend my knee to you. No, I will not follow you. I'll be the captain of my own life, of my own ship. And then eventually, of course, Aunt Mary dies. And then we wonder, how could God allow Aunt Mary, such a nice lady, to go to hell? But the truth is, Aunt Mary has said no to God a thousand times and has refused to acknowledge God in her life. You see, that's the reality. We are stubborn people. We have sinned against God. We don't want to admit that. We are prideful. And we want to keep God out of our life. And so Aunt Mary has kept her distance from God her entire life. She has lived her life to be separated from God. And you know what? In death, that's exactly part of what hell is. Separated from God forever. Jesus is saying, access to heaven is narrow. Time to respond is limited. And there's only two destinies, and you're going to end up in one of those permanently. And so the second destiny is Jesus talked about another place. He described it where many are welcome, and people are at the table, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are there, as is the prophets. But then he says something that the Jewish people that are hearing Jesus in the first century when he said it, that they wouldn't like. And that's where he says, hey, and there will be others there. Even though some Jewish people, some of you are excluded, there's going to be other people there from the north, the south, the east, for the west, from all points of the compass. He's talking about Gentiles, non-Jewish people. There's going to be a lot of non-Jewish people in heaven. And Jewish people didn't like to hear that because they knew they were favored by God as a nation, favored by God as a people, and they were. So it's Jewish people and all of us, non-Jewish people, called Gentiles by the Jewish people. And God says they're going to be there, and many of you won't. Heaven, where we will recline at the table, this image of feasting with God, of joy and togetherness.
where there's no danger of hell. Do you know the price that God paid to keep you out of hell? Do you know the sacrifice that he made? You know, we feel strongly about somebody not doing something. If we're, we like, we don't want them to do it, and we're trying to convince them not to do it, and finally we'll say, over my dead body, you'll do that, right? You'll do that over my dead body. That's what God's saying to us. You'll go to hell over Jesus' dead body. You have to walk all the way around the cross that you've heard about in order to go to hell. And by the way, do you remember how this started, that very first verse that I read? He's going through towns and villages, right, on his way to Jerusalem. You see, the latter half of Jesus' ministry, he is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way where he knows he will be tortured to death in order to pay for our sins. And he knows it. And he steadily keeps progressing that way, teaching, warning people every step of the way. His destiny to fulfill his purpose in his love for all of us, all people. He died on the cross. You see, that's the good news. Jesus died in our place. The bad news is we've all sinned against him. We've all alienated ourselves. We all deserve judgment. Justice for us from God is not good news for any of us. It's all bad news. We all deserve judgment because we've all sinned against him. But Kevin, I've done some good things. Good things don't count. Good things are what's expected. Good things are what you were created to do. You don't get extra credit. That doesn't erase one bad thing. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve hell. We all deserve to die and not go to a better place, to go to a terrible place, because there is judgment. There is justice. But in God's love for us, to not violate his justice, he loved and he allowed his only son, Jesus, to voluntarily walk his way to Jerusalem where he will be tortured to death. It's not like Jesus didn't feel pain. Where he would be tortured to death, bleed out on a cross to be our substitute, to pay for our sin penalty, to carry out justice on our behalf, to pay for our judgment our penalty, our sin. Jesus is telling us narrow access to heaven, limited time to respond, only two destinies. There's no halfway in the middle and praying your way out of it. Purgatory's just a river in Colorado. There's, that's all that it is. It doesn't exist. And then just one more thing I want to point out before I close, and that is, Jesus is telling us in this story that familiarity with Jesus, it's not enough. Just knowing about Jesus, not enough. Talking to Jesus, not enough. Do you hear what they're saying? As they knock on the door, do you hear what they're crying out? Hey, we knew you. We heard you. You taught in our streets. We ate with you. We, we talked to you, Jesus. 
Jesus said, I don't know yet. Of course, Jesus knows everybody. He knows everything in our hearts. He knows every motive, intent, and sin we've ever committed. What he's saying there is, I don't know you in relationship. How many of you have ever met somebody famous? That ever happened to you? You, you know, something happened and boom, you meet somebody famous. Never really happened to me. I never really met anybody famous. But a couple of times uh, before I came here, I worked where I was in proximity with two different presidents. And I didn't meet them. But let's say that I did. Let's say that somehow I'm in some side hallway and then they're coming in and, you know, they've got security and I just happen to be stuck there. And so, you know, just stand by the wall, you know, and don't move suddenly. And they come through. But then something, he gets held up and it's not ready to go onto the platform. They don't, they're not ready to the next area. And so they're just, hey, you just need to stay here for a minute. Now we're stuck together in a narrow hallway, me and a president. And so I say, hey, you know, I'm Kevin. And, he, and he's nice, and he talked, and then we talk a little bit, because we have time to kill. He has no choice. I mean, so we talk for five or ten minutes, and then, you know, it's all clear, and he goes, okay, let's say that happened, because it could have happened twice in my life, but it didn't, but let's say it did. Let's say then today, because these guys aren't presidents anymore, I went to one of their houses, like at nine o'clock at night, and I knocked on their front door. Hey, it's Kevin. How you doing? Man, been a long time. How's that going to go? That's not going to go well, right? Remember, we met. Remember Washington, D.C., the narrow hallway? You were stuck there. We were talking. He's going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about, security. You know, it's gonna be, that's how it's going to be, right? That's what Jesus is telling us. Well, Jesus, we knew you. We knew you. We talked to you. You were there. We were there. We know all about you. We talk about us knowing God. Here's God saying, I never knew you. I never knew you in the sense to have a relationship with you. You know, just because we know who Jesus is and we give him a nod once in a while and we, we recognize him that he should be the boss of our life and we pray to him once in a while, that's not what Christianity is. Do you know him? Have you given your life to him? Have you put your trust in Him and Him alone? Have you determined to live your life following Him? Not that you do it perfect. Not that you don't mess up. We all do. But is the direction of your life toward Jesus? Are you including Jesus? Are you part doing what He wants you to do? That's the question. 1 John 2.4 says, The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. Many call Jesus Lord, but few follow him as Lord. So, here's my challenge. I got three. One, if you're not a believer, consider it. Think about it. Time is short. You may never get another opportunity. God is not saying you'll ever have another opportunity. These people knocking on the door wish they would have taken advantage of the opportunity that they had. And they missed it, and it was too late and they couldn't change it. Respond to Jesus. Put your trust, your faith in him. Give him your life. Determine to follow him. It's not the following of him that will save you. It's putting your trust and faith in him, acknowledging him. That's what will save you. Secondly, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, once you've made sure of your eternal destiny, that's what 
Jesus is saying to this guy, once you made sure of where you're going, once you know that you've placed your trust in Christ, that you want, you have a desire to follow him, well, then the next thing is, what about the people you love? You should have the conversation because someday, because God has not promised any of us another day, someday in the future, you may be wishing that you would have had that conversation. So third challenge, now I'm going to get in your business. You ready? No, nobody's ever ready for me to get in their business. So here it is. I'm getting in your business anyway. So here it goes. Today, I challenge you, today, if you're a believer, on your way home, or maybe you're sitting in the living room and you're just watching online, or when you have dinner, you know, lunch together, that the people that you love the most, that you just turn to them and say, do you know for sure you're a believer? When did you become a Christian? What was that like? What does that mean to you? And if they say something like, well, I've always been a Christian, you've got some work to do, right? Follow up with that. Maybe your parents, you know, maybe it's time to pick up the phone and say, hey, mom, dad, you know, this is weird. Hey, you know, my my crazy pastor asked me, kind of challenged me to do this, so I wanted to, you know, however you can get on it and say, hey, I just wanted to know what you think about Jesus and are you a follower of him? And I'll tell you what, there's going to be someday you're going to be sitting at a funeral and you're going to wish you would have done that, right? Leverage your time today. Let's stand, pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thanks for your love. Help us to be who you want us to be. Lord, help us to follow you with everything we have because you alone are worthy in Christ's name. Amen.